0: You are listening to the Willpower Podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm Will Holdren, and I talk with some of the most influential CEOs, entrepreneurial leaders, and thought leaders to try and reveal the secrets that has led to their success. I believe that with the right knowledge and mindset, you can do anything you set your mind to. So if you want to learn how to change your life for the better, if you want to learn how millionaires actually became wealthy, or if you want to develop and start your own business from the ground up with the right knowledge to help you, then you are in the right place because this is is the willpower podcast i cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest but first if you have enjoyed an episode then please please open up apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button and if you think we deserve it scroll to the bottom select write a review and leave us a five-star rating with a review that states where you are from and one aspect of the show that you love once you do that send me a screenshot and i will feature you on a future show and shout you out on my instagram that has over ten thousand followers now let's get to the show with our newest guest. How's it going, guys? My name is Will Holdren. I'm the host of The Power Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Mikey Taylor. And Mikey was a pro skateboarder, and he is now an entrepreneur. And he's the CEO of Commune Capital, and he helps others create a path to financial freedom. So it's an honor to have him on here. So Mikey, thank you so much for joining me today. Dude, stoked to
1: be here. Thank you.
0: Awesome. So to start off, I've got all my guests kind of the same question. Uh, so what was your childhood like and how has it affected you?
1: Uh, overall childhood vibe?
0: Yeah, overall childhood vibe. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Uh, overall, it was good. Uh, like, you know, both of my parents did a really good job at, you know, making me feel loved, making me feel like I could do anything. Uh, and uh, I had fun as a kid, you know. I think middle school was maybe where it got a little bit more challenging, but I think all in all, it was, it was a good experience. That's
0: awesome. Were you like a straight-A student all the way up through high school and middle school?
1: Uh, I was a pretty good student, but uh, not because I was, like, overly smart, because I had a good memory, and I found a system in which I could wow. succeed in our in our school or how our school was built. Uh, didn't really retain information, but uh, – it was really easy for me to basically study something before a test, memorize it, take the test, get a good grade on the test, forget it the next day, start over. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I did good. I just don't know how good it did me.
0: <laughs> well, you've worked out in the long run, so that's all I yeah.
1: <laughs> true. Very true.
0: Yeah. So were you, when, when did you start skateboarding? When did you start to develop that passion?
1: Uh, I started skating like 12, 12 13. Um, okay. And, you know, in the beginning, it was just like I was doing things that my friends are doing, like just like, oh, hey, let's go skateboard. And it kind of grabbed me. I became obsessed with it. And then it just, it didn't let go.
0: Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Did you always think that you're going to become like a pro skateboarder in the future? Or was that like your main passion growing up?
1: No, no. My, so w- what was different about this time, like before skateboarding, I played hockey and like when I was playing hockey, I was like, yeah, I want to be a pro hockey player. Right. With skateboarding, is a little bit different. Like, all I wanted to do was skateboard. I didn't want to be a pro skateboarder, but I didn't want to stop skateboarding. Mm. So the only kind of hack that I thought I could come up with so that I wouldn't have to stop skateboarding is to get paid to the skateboard. And it was just like the, yeah, okay, fine. Like, I'll be a pro skateboarder if that means I don't <laughs> have to stop skating. But no, oh. I didn't have any desire to be a pro when I was a kid. Wow, that's awesome.
0: So, did you end up going to college after high school, or did you kind of just pursue skateboarding full time? then?
1: No college. Uh, my senior, my senior year is when, like, you know, sponsors started putting me in magazines. Uh, I started uh, traveling, and that was kind of when the opportunity, like, actually presented itself that this could be something. Okay. And so, I made the decision that I was not going to go to college, and I was going to skate. Um, I just didn't think I was going to skate for that long, like. You know, the skate industry was so small back then that I thought, like, maybe I could do it for, like, five, six years if I'm, like, crushing it, and then I could always go back to school if that was something I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 15 years later, I was like, that was my full career. It was, like, wow. holy smokes, way, way <laughs> longer than I thought.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, that, that's very cool. And so I'm not very familiar with, like, the skateboarding world. So does that kind of work, like, you go to, like, tournaments and stuff like that and then, like, sponsors see you and then they're able to, like, pick you up if they really like you? Yeah. Uh, no actually a little
1: bit now but back then it was all about videos and magazines like contests we didn't really do
0: okay
1: and so companies would basically either discover us or we would try to get seen uh and it it worked kind of like really based on marketing like companies would see somebody who was influential uh that other kids wanted to be like and then they would sponsor them so that the kids would see them wearing their product and then those kids would go buy their product and so we were, like, basically marketing tools, essentially. Uh, and then contest came later. And then the contest scene kind of started working. And then we became bigger than we were. And uh, But our whole career was always based around video parts.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And, you know, in my experience, i just watching pro skateboarders, like Tony Hawk and people like that. Like, it looks super, super hard. and it's super dangerous. well, like a lot of tough falls. So I'm just kind of curious. Like, did you ever have, like, any really bad falls or you hurt yourself at all? Yeah. If if, if you're a skater, you're not
1: going to avoid this one. Uh, Um, Oh, yeah. I had a tunnel Oh, yeah. Dude, smack, I mean, hitting my head, uh, you know, a lot of rolled ankles, broke my wrist, broke a bone in my hip, tore a ligament in my leg the whole night.
0: Jeez, you never really felt like quitting after one of those accidents happened?
1: No, I, I never felt like quitting. But when you get hurt like that, uh, it's hard to get back to where you were prior to getting hurt, not from like a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint. Like yeah, having surgery is such a mental war. Uh, but for me, like that's the stuff that I really enjoy. I, I like when like I'm scared to do something or you know, there's something holding me back and me having to like fight through that moment to do something uh, that I live for that. So, like, surgery or or, or getting hurt was just kind of, like, a new element to it. It was like, okay, I'm scared now. Uh, How do I get myself back to where I was? What's the mental battle I'm going to have to go through? And I I, I just, like, like that journey, oddly enough.
0: Yeah, and I think that's pretty interesting because I think a lot of people struggle with that. Like, they don't like going through that mental journey of going through, like, um, difficulties in their life. So if you could kind of like pinpoint any key, key things that you do, just to be able to like get yourself through those, those, those times, like uh, like what would some of those things be?
1: Uh, okay. It's changed for me over the years. Uh, in the beginning, it was just sheer frustration and the, the hatred of losing like those two things. That was it for me. So it was like, I just hated when I couldn't do something. So like, I would just get like, try and try and try over and over again until I got so frustrated and so mad that I just like forced myself to do it. It was almost like, you know, they talk about emotion taking over logic. Mm. Well, in the beginning, like the logical side of me was saying, don't do this. You're going to get hurt, whatever it was. Right. (laughs) I would get so frustrated to where emotion would just block the logic and then I would just do it. That was the beginning. That was my strategy. Probably not the best strategy, but that's what worked for me. Yeah. Um, it, it, and it's interesting, what happens after a while is once you go through something that you're scared of or once you go through a trial and you see what happens on the other end, that becomes a new type of motivation because you've now experienced the reward or the blessing of working through a trial, right? right. And so a- after you do that a couple times, you're no longer kind of blocked by the initial challenge. You focus more on what's to come. And once you've experienced it, you know how good it is, and then you just remember that. If I get through this, I get the whatever you want to call it on the other end, the prize. Right,
0: right, right. yeah. And, and whether it's, like, skateboarding or something, like, working out, like, doing that exercise, like, pushing yourself past, like, that hard limit, like you said, yeah. you, like, you feel like a new euphoria, a new feeling, and, you know, you kind of yeah. grow used to it, and you like it, and then, you know, like you said, you kind of want to just keep doing it. So. A hundred percent. I think, too, like, the more – the
1: older you get, the more you learn about yourself or maybe you should be learning about yourself. And you realize that like, we have these like governor chips or we have these like, you know, it's something in our subconscious that typically stops us at some level. And like when I was young, I would always like think like, oh yeah, that's like my body telling me I shouldn't do this anymore. Like th- this isn't safe. But what you realize as you start learning more, more about people is that we are drawn towards comfort. Right, our body is gonna always try to keep us in something that we know, but if we're only doing something we know, we're never improving. So, like, just changing your perspective on those moments where your body goes, "Don't do this," and recognizing that as, "Wow, you're actually putting yourself in a position where you're doing something new, and you're gonna improve on that," as opposed to, "Step on the brakes. I, I need to go the other direction. This isn't, you know, safe for me." Uh, and then it's just like, you know, it's like anything, new outlook. In in a direction that pushes you forward, you're going to see good results from that.
0: Yeah, and to me, it's super interesting that you brought up the word governor because I recently read the book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. I don't know if you've ever read that book or not. Of course, really yeah, good book. That's a really good book. But that's really what he talks about: how people like stop at their governor, and it's really like forty percent of what they're actually capable of doing. And then he talks about oh, like how he pushed himself to like eighty percent, and he still believes there's twenty percent left, and he's like running on broken legs and like doing all these really crazy things. Like that's insane to me. And so like. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Yeah, so I think 100%. people. I think people like aren't even close to reaching their maximum and what they what they're actually able to do. Like you said, like they reach that governor, and then they just they just hit a stop. And then- well, dude, just think about what what you just said about David Goggins, right?
1: When we get to the point of going, that's it, done. I cannot do any more. You have sixty percent left. Like yeah. it's not like we we find that at eighty percent. We find it at forty percent. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's the so, Dude, a hundred percent. That book's, if anybody hasn't read that book, go read it. It's it's incredible.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that book's like three hundred pages long, and I'm not big into reading, but I read that book in like a week. So. I, I did too. Yeah. Kind of so. <laughs> yeah. 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 So kind of jumping back into your story here, you said that you know you're kind of building a brand, you're skateboarding, and getting sponsors, and on your Instagram you have like over eight hundred thousand followers. So by the time you're getting sponsors, like right out of high school, like how big was your brand? Like, were you actually growing your Instagram? Like tremendously, or no, there was no social media back then. Wow. So, how did you actually have a big brand then? Like, of people that are following you. Oh, the, so, one, the hard part is we couldn't, it, it was
1: hard to figure out how many people actually followed us, right? right. Basically, people figured out who we were because I would have photos and magazines, uh, I would have, you know, video or, or, or tricks and all the skate videos. And like, the only gauge we had was how often we were noticed. I remember I got to a point where, like, every day somebody would like—not at a skate park. Like, if, if we go to a skate park, every single kid knows who we are at the skate park. But like, there'd be a moment. There was a moment where, like, in everyday life, if I was walking through the mall, if I was doing anything, I would get noticed every single day. Wow! And and then at that point, I was like, "Holy crap! There's a lot of people who, are like, whatever, <laughs> know who I am." It wasn't until social media, and that was, dude, my career was halfway over at that point, almost like wow. you know, on the other end. And, and then that was different. That was like, you know, I remember like my, my buddy Mike Mo, who's a huge pro skateboarder. We were like one of the first uh, skaters to like really get on board social media. And I remember we were in Australia, this is probably, dude, 2010 or something like that. And we hit 20,000 followers on Instagram. And him and I were like, can you believe this? 20,000 people know who, we, like we were like, couldn't believe it. Uh, and then it just started growing and growing, but uh, I, I had no idea that many people were following me prior to social media. Wow.
0: Okay, cool. So, so, yeah, you're talking about like a bunch of like magazines that you had to be in then in order to get some brand recognition. Uh, so, do you remember like the first magazine that you were in? Like, what what did that feel like getting in your first magazine?
1: Yeah, it was my senior year. Uh, the The company that I was sponsored by was called Duffs. It was a shoe company. Uh, and, uh, it was, a—I I did a, what's called a lip slide down an 11 stair handrail at Calabasas high school. And, uh, I, the first time I saw it was in, I was in woodshop class my senior year. And like, dude, it was, it, it was almost like, it was surreal. It was totally surreal. Like growing up, like looking through all the magazines, knowing every person in them and then to like actually be in one, it was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's hard to explain that feeling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that'd be super cool. Um, Super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after you became a professional skateboarder, um, when did you kind of venture into more of entrepreneurship and starting your own companies?
1: Uh, It officially happened in 2011. uh, But it started happening a couple years before that. Just not in the sense of I I hadn't started a business yet. But I I got my first signature shoe. And that was, like, the first time I went through the process of having to come up with the idea of how to design it, how to market it, how to sell it, and, you know, actually experiencing what type of money comes with selling a product like a shoe. And so, like, I just really became fascinated with that. Like, I wanted to, like, I wanted, of course, to have more shoes. I wanted to get better (laughs) at marketing because, like, that was, like, crazy amount of money. Yeah. And so that was the beginning of me trying to figure out how I could do more on the business side of skateboarding, not just ride an actual skateboard. And I was sponsored by a shoe company called DBS. And I went into the president, I set up a meeting with the president and I basically came up with this whole plan. Like, hey, I want to be more involved. I want to help with like team. I want to help with marketing. I want to help with shoe design. And he looked at me and was like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, no, like I'm just skateboard, dude, we got the business thing covered And you know, I walked out of that meeting and realized that, uh, one, I wanted more, two, that this this sponsorship was ending. And so I got an opportunity to ride for another shoe company called Etnies. And uh, one of my friends ended up becoming the team manager. And his job was to basically assemble a team and redo their whole program. And he was close with me. So he knew what I was going through at that moment and wanting to be more involved. And he was like, dude, this is your shot. Like, this is your shot to like actually be involved with building out a program and i was right. like dude let's do this you know and uh it was too much for what i the skills i had at that time right mm. and so basically they wanted me to help rebuild the actual skate team they wanted me to redo uh the, the skate product the shoes uh work on uh the marketing side and i went in like with this idea that like i was steve jobs it was just like You know, I walked in talking to designers like I was the man, and they were nothing. Like, dude, these shoes suck. I'm throwing shoes. We need to get this blah, 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 blah. And it was a terrible experience. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I was too young and too immature to understand that it was my issue. It wasn't theirs. And how I perceived it at the moment was none of these people take me serious because I'm a skateboarder. Like, this company is never going to view me more than what, what I am as a skater, so I need to do my own company. I need to be the one that's in charge of coming up with the vision, bringing that vision to reality, managing people. And so that was kind of the moment where I went, I'm starting my own companies. What I didn't realize was <laughs> it wasn't that they only looked at me as a skateboarder. It's that I walked in there thinking I was more than I was and had a false uh, kind of idea of what an actual leader is. Right. Uh, and so that was a big learning curve for me. But yeah. that was basically the creation of me going, it's time for me to create my create my own brands. That's
0: awesome. So did you actually end up making your shoe with that company before you left them? I did.
1: Yeah, I ended up having uh, one... Two, I had three shoes with them. Uh, but, it, I mean, dude, it was it was a bad experience. Like, like <laughs> yeah. I did. you know, it's like, it, it, it was good. It was a learning curve for me, but it, it was a, like, I think back at those years, I like cringe, you know, thinking about the example I gave to others.
0: Right. Right. Right.
1: And like, dude, the, 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 what we did worked, like that was kind of the hard part. Like what we were building there was having a big return. It was just, uh, I wasn't building it in a way that, uh, I think produced an even greater result.
0: Okay. So the that you guys made were pretty successful though.
1: Yeah. Like we, I mean, the brand was like sick. Like we were like, (laughs) you know, we took a brand that basically with Etnies, like when they started, they were really cool. Then they kind of, you know, most, most companies do this. And like, we took it when it was kind of at a, maybe a lull and it was starting to climb. It was like, we had a cool little thing going on, but, uh, uh, I ended up kind of taking that moment, going, I'm going to start my own company. And then I got an offer to ride for uh, a bigger shoe company. And I ended up leaving Etnies to ride for that bigger shoe company because it was at the same time of me starting my my first business. Right. And I wanted, I wanted to make sure I was making more money to give myself more cushion for the business that I was about to start was actually right. the truth behind it.
0: Right, right. Okay, so after you left that second company, what was your personal brand built around? Like, what were your what was your main focus in starting your personal brand business? Uh,
1: my personal brand was uh, in the beginning. Uh, I just wanted it was just me skateboarding. It, it was uh, only yeah. me putting out tricks so more people could see the tricks I was doing, so that they buy more of my product. Okay. Uh, there was not a lot of uh, intention behind it at that time.
0: Okay. Cool. And then, when did you start your company? Now that you have Commune Capital.
1: When did I start Commune, or when did I start my first? Uh, Commune. That one. Yeah. Uh, I started Commune uh, pretty much 2017. Okay.
0: So how four four and a half
1: years in now? How has
0: that been since you started it four and a half years ago? Crazy. (laughs) It's been crazy. Like. Oh, shoot. Sorry, I lost my headphone. Okay. It's, it, it's
1: been crazy because prior to Commune, all of the companies that I had started were kind of in my wheelhouse. Like, right. skateboard company, clothing brand, craft brewery, it was all in it, kind of intertwined with this, like, California lifestyle in a sense. Yeah. Uh, moving into private equity, uh, very different. Really, <laughs> really different. Yeah. Uh. Uh, and, and I like it. I, I, I absolutely love it because it is more complex than anything I've ever done. Right. Um, but uh, it was it was definitely different. Like I went into it thinking it was one thing, and then uh, it's so different than my original idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And, yeah, like to me, like it's totally different, like you said, than all your other companies. Like they were skateboard-related, clothing-related, now you're going more in real estate and stuff on that side. So- yeah, and What's fascinating about it is like even like
1: like in the beer industry, like the beer industry was not the skate industry, but it was still like kind of a lot of guys out there just figuring it out, making it happen. It was really entrepreneurial. Uh, with what I do now, uh, I am an outlier for sure. It's like I walk into meetings and and most fund managers, ninety five percent of them, uh, they went kind of down the same path they have the mba at some like insane college and no. everything was kind of set up for them to do it it's like yeah you know, I, i'm kind of the one that like kind of snuck in the side door right um, and even like the way it's like the way i talk is very different than the people in my industry the way i look you know and uh that's a little bit different uh for sure but uh right. i i like it i i really really like it
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like instead of going to college for you, like, you know, you just got that business experience from starting your own companies and actually doing it instead of going to a classroom and learning how to do it. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it kind of balances out in the end. Yeah. So, since you're now in the real estate business, how do you kind of get that knowledge to be successful in that business? Since that's something you've never really done before, like, how did you actually get that knowledge to know what you're doing and to be successful with it? Okay. uh, A handful of ways. (laughs) Uh, The very first
1: way was investing passively. So when I was skating, I was investing in real estate. Uh, And when you invest passively, you're not actively managing the property. You're not out finding the deals, but you're being updated on everything happening. So one thing that was cool is my money was out there working. I was seeing a return of my money. I'm getting all the updates, basically learning how everything works. This was the original plan and why we invested in it. This is how it's going these were the mistakes that were made so you're actually going through an educational process as your money's working which is cool uh then when i wanted to go into doing this full time and and actively managing it i already had business experience so i knew how to create a company Uh, i had experience on the passive side the things that i had to educate myself on were you know maybe some of the nuances but Real estate works very similar to small business. It's not that much different. It's just different terms. Uh, And so I spent a year uh, basically in research mode, absorbing everything I could on the asset class that I wanted to build our business around. And that was done through books. That was done through podcasts. That was done with meeting people in the industry that I knew. Uh, it, It was just a due diligence phase for a year. Uh, and then, you know, when you do something and you're actually doing it, you learn at a faster rate than actually, you know, going the traditional book route. Right. And then that's basically what happened. But it, it, if you understand business, it, it, it actually was a very smooth transition.
0: Huh. And then on the second
1: side too, is like, I'm not just investing in real estate. Like I created an investment firm that manages real estate portfolios, So it's a business first and our product is real estate investment. And so the only difference really was the product itself. It wasn't creating the business. Uh, And and so it's, it's not that different actually.
0: Okay. So you basically invest other people's money in real estate then?
1: correct yeah yeah so we run real estate funds so we go out we raise money from investors that money comes into the fund and then we use that capital to then go buy assets Uh, typically we repurpose or there's some type of work we're doing to the asset and then that asset produces a return through cash flow and then if there's a refi or appreciation they get to participate in that as well
0: okay and who is we like how many people do you have on your team or is it just you no, we have,
1: uh, gosh, as far as partners go, I have five partners now. Uh, and we have about right around 15 people uh, internally working for our company.
0: Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. So how do you kind of go about finding investors to to work with you guys? was that process? Oh, it's changing. <laughs>
1: In the beginning, uh, I mean, dude, so the, the, the first time I raised money was with, first business which was st archer we had to raise money for the craft brewery uh and then my second time raising money was for our company commune and dude it starts truthfully friends and family mom dad in-laws aunts uncles friends that was like the first call uh because you know a a lot of times like like we didn't have experience uh in beer and so You know, getting people to trust us with their money was a a tall ask. But with your friends and family, a lot of times they just want to see you succeed. And so they'll give you, you know, enough money where they don't care if they lose it just to support you. Uh, And that's kind of how you usually get launched. Uh, But then, you know, it starts changing and then you start having success and then it makes it a little bit easier to raise money from people you don't know. And you kind of attack that in multiple ways. One, word of mouth. Like when you meet with an investor, every investor I meet with, I ask them if they know anybody that will be interested in what I do and will you connect me and not just saying it, you got to follow up on it, right? Like, will I pitch him idea. You're like, dude, this is sick. Well, who else do you know that could, that you could connect me with? Oh, th- okay. Can, can you, you hit me right now? Okay. I'll follow up to you tonight. Connect me with these people, right? Uh, another thing is marketing, dude. It's like, you know, using social media to tell people what you do keeps you at top of mind when they want to start getting into that field for, or whatever they're, they're looking at. So, uh, it's why I'm always talking about finance, investing, et cetera, on social media, so that when people want to talk about real estate or are looking to invest in real estate or have a friend that says, dude, I really want to get into real estate. They go, ah, you should hit up Mikey Taylor. So, uh, there's the organic route. And then there's the I I would say marketing route through social,
0: right? And kind of from the social media side of things, what percentage of your leads come from social media would you say?
1: It's starting to become more, uh, I would say last year, it was probably 10%, I would say, come from social media. Um, but it's changing. We're we're, just, just last week or two weeks ago, we had about a million dollars of potential investors just from TikTok, from one video I did on TikTok. Yeah, so that's changing. Yeah, I I know, I couldn't believe it. Like, you know, we've had investors come from, you know, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. Uh, I didn't think TikTok was gonna do that. And it was just like one week. Like my partner called me, he's like, dude, whatever you're doing on TikTok, keep this up, (laughs) you know? Um, but that's, that, that part's new that that, it wasn't coming in like that prior. Right. Right.
0: Okay. So once you get investors to work with you guys, you have to go out and invest in properties. And like, what are you looking for in a property before you go out and invest with it? What a good question.
1: (laughs) Uh, what a really good question. So we are looking for a handful of things. Um, to oversimplify, we're looking that we can buy something that has demand, We could buy it at a discount so that we're adding value to it. Uh, And and if we have the demand, then we can hit the targeted uh, rents that we're projecting. And that 10 years from now that demand will still exist uh, is at the simplest form what we're looking for. Uh, Typically what we do, so we have one portfolio that's uh, primarily focused on multifamily apartments. We have another portfolio that is primarily focused on storage units and in both both cases, we're looking for distressed assets that we could repurpose uh, or scrape and build into either one of those asset classes. Uh, and so, you know, typically we look for like Kmarts or Walmarts or like if a grocery store goes dark, uh, we can find those at such a steep discount because they might be vacant for so long that a city's going, just get this off my hands. So we want to get in for a a good price and we want to repurpose it into an asset class like storage or multifamily where the demand's there. It's not overbuilt in that area so that we can hit the rents we want to hit and then we'll continue to hit the rents we can over the next 10
0: years. Okay. So you guys kind of transform like Walmarts and those big companies, like you said, into like rental houses for the most part, right? Like apartments. so on on the
1: storage side, like you like we just got back from one of our properties in Arizona, and it was a grocery store. When you walk into like the retail like shopping center, it looks like a grocery store, except it says CubeSmart as opposed to like Kroger's, right? And then you walk <laughs> in, and it's just a bunch of storage units. So on the storage side, it's easier to actually repurpose the existing asset into storage on multifamily. Right. It, it, it's it's. You know, like, we have a project we're working on right now that was a Sears building that went dark. Uh, and we're scraping that and developing multifamily. And then that ended up turning into a mall, uh, where we were actually closing on an entire mall that pretty much went dark. And that will be a scrape and build,
0: yeah. I can imagine that being a gold mine right now because all the malls you are going out of business, like I know like three around me are just gone, they're just vacant right now, they're sitting there, and no one, no one wants to buy them. So it's crazy. That's right.
1: that's right. So, that's a cool one where, uh, like. The, the The challenge in front of us, right, is multifamily, there's a shortage still. Like, there is just not enough product out there. And when there's a shortage, there's an increased demand, which drives rents up, which drives price up, right? So yeah. if you're just buying existing apartments, you're paying a premium for it. And that's not to say that it's not going to continue, but you are paying premium. Where when we're buying these malls that are basically dying throughout America, then you get the discount that we're trying to target. And then we're repurposing it into an asset that has that demand that needs to be built. Uh, right. So we like that model. And dude, at the end of the day, it comes down to our investors. Like we have a targeted return that we uh, are trying to hit for our investors. And we wanna find assets that we can hit that return with a risk tolerance that we are comfortable taking.
0: Um, have you always hit that return that you guys were expecting to hit or you guys have some lapses where it, it didn't happen at times?
1: That's a really good question.
0: Uh, so how we do it,
1: we do a fund structure. We don't do uh, individual projects. So inside of a fund, we'll have multiple uh, different assets, which I like because if one asset doesn't all the way perform like you want, you have other assets to right. kind of cover you in a sense where you're diversified And the total portfolio is hitting the return you're targeting, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, It's kind of one of the reasons why we do a fund. But the truth is, uh, the answer is on the real estate side, uh, we have had a really good track record as far as hitting targeted returns. Uh, And I will kind of also include, we are so conservative when we, excuse me, move forward on a deal that... uh, we want to look at a worst case scenario where uh, it still pans out. And through that lens, it works well because we've done well as far as hitting return. The challenge with that is we don't do as many deals as a lot of other groups. Like a lot of other groups, will they'll raise as much money as they can and then they'll deploy that money because they need to get that money out. For us, we are very selective with uh, really only targeting in our eyes what great opportunity is And so the amount of deals we do might be smaller than other groups, uh, but we've done a good job hitting returns. Awesome. Awesome.
0: And so I kind of have one more question for you. So on the more individual side, say I'm a small investor, I want to start passively investing money into real estate like you did in the beginning of your real estate career. Um, What's the best avenue to go about it? Because like you said, like if you invest in an apartment straight up, your premium is going to be a lot higher than if you just do like what you're talking about right now. So if you're like a smaller investor and you want to get started in real estate, what's the best avenue to go down?
1: Okay, first, you're recognizing if it's going to be passive or active, right? If you're going to be active, meaning you're finding the deals, you're doing all the work, you're managing the property, you're going to start with the education process. You have to know what you're doing before you do it. If you're going to do it passively, uh, then it just comes down to your goals and making sure the asset that you're going to invest in aligns with your goals and then you have to learn how to do the due diligence on the group you're investing in because you're not just doing due diligence on the asset. You're doing due diligence on the group managing the asset. And okay. so, I mean, briefly, you asked two questions that should be uh, that should be two questions that come out of any passive investor's mouth. <laughs> what ha- w- when has it gone wrong? What have yeah. you done where it didn't pan out? Because that's always the case that you'll never get into an investment like even with us. Uh, nothing ever goes to plan and there's always things that go wrong. So one of the first questions you want to ask is what did you do when it went wrong and how did you end up making it right? And if somebody says, well, nothing's ever gone wrong. We've just been killing it. Well, typically they haven't been doing it long enough and, uh, they're most likely going to get in a scenario where there's challenge, uh, uh, and really what it comes down to is like, you want to make sure they have experience. You want to talk about historical returns to investors. Uh, and you're judging character, you're judging moral. It's like you're entrusting people to manage your money and you want to make sure that those people are held to a high standard that, that ultimately you
0: can trust them in. That's
1: awesome. Awesome.
0: And so investing passively is what you did at the beginning too. So you invested in like another company, like a set amount of money. You just got a consistent return from that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So before we run out of time, is there anything else that you would like to say? And if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Best
1: way to find me is just search my name on any of the platforms, Mikey Taylor. Uh, My most active one right now is TikTok, Uh, Instagram, and then i am starting to get pretty into Clubhouse. Uh, But you can find me on any of them, and then that will lead to uh, our website if you ever want to get more information on our company. And uh, trying to think what else. that might be it
0: for me. I right. wish you had more questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's, all, that's all for this morning. All right, guys, there we have it. Mikey Taylor, thank you so much for hopping on this, this call with me this morning.
1: Appreciate it, power
0: This episode was sponsored by Ruben Alvarez from In For The Kill Podcast. Check out his YouTube channel for product reviews, mindset videos, and interviews. If you want to receive updates about when future episodes will be coming out, please visit willholdren.com and join the email list. We hope you love today's episode.